0: Exodus 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute. What does it say? Forever. Forever. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. And he does. We're in a series called Exodus. I'm, I'm with you. I'm a little thrown off because I'm going to keep turning over here. And we don't have that, that projectors sick at the moment. So we're in the series of Exodus, right? Uh, the story of the Israelites' flight from Egypt, their flight from bondage and their flight from Egypt, it is a story Uh, This is not just preaching through the book of Exodus. We're going to actually go far beyond that. And yet we're going to do it in a relatively short amount of time between now and we're about to take a, a two week break starting next week. Uh, but between now, really, and almost Thanksgiving. Uh, so we actually have a lot of ground to cover. So we're going to kind of skim along and catch the high points of the story. There are high points of the story that we're not going to have time to cover. Um, and, and I get it. Like some of you, this is your favorite story in the Bible, and I don't blame you one bit. It's a fantastic story. And so if there are parts of it that we don't get to that break your heart, just know that they kind of broke my heart, too. <laughs> Uh, But there's a balance to be found in how fast we're moving and that we have other things that we want to preach through Scripture as well. Uh, In their story, this is really important. One of the themes of this series is that in their story, in the story of the Israelites and their flight from bondage in Egypt, in their story and our story, we always move away from something and we move towards something. So for some of us, uh, we're looking for escape right now. We're looking for escape from some level of misery, no matter where that may be, whether for you it's financial misery, it may be vocational misery, it may be relational misery, but God doesn't just call us to escape misery and oppression and suffering, although it's not wrong to desire that, it's not wrong to pray for that, it's not wrong to seek that, but ultimately God calls us from something, but He also calls us to something, He's always calling us to something. I want you. I want to remind you of this. Please listen. Just because the Israelites were set free from bondage in Egypt doesn't mean that they were turned out into total unstructured freedom and said, "Go do whatever you want to do." That's not how the story goes. They were actually set free from serving the Egyptians so that they could be free to serve God and God alone, and that God was calling them to a specific destiny. That he was calling them to a land that he had promised, not just to them, but to their forefathers. We said a couple weeks ago that a family of 70 went into Egypt, more or less. A family of 70, which was Joseph's family, went into Egypt. About 400 years later, a little more than 400 years later, a nation of 2 plus million people came out of Egypt. There was a lot of ground that was covered in those 400 and some years. We're going to talk a lot about what that was today. And that's, that really plays into this story, especially the piece of the story that we're examining today, the Passover. Uh, last week we covered, we, and you may not even be like a church person or a Bible person, right? But a lot of people are aware of this, that, that when the nation of Israel was leaving Egypt there were 10 plagues. God sent 10 plagues. Last week we covered 9 of them and we kept this one separately because I couldn't figure out how to not... Do that. We were running as fast as we could last week, anyway. You can't run fast through the Passover. There's too much symbolism, there's too much to unpack, too much for us to see. And so, part three of this series, this is in your notes. Uh, if you're paying attention to your notes, we're going to be, and, and I'll go ahead and warn you of this. Obviously, we read a long passage uh, this morning when we got started, you're going to be taking notes on the back of your sheet, but you're going to be flipping back and forward because we're going to be referencing back some of the verses that we read earlier. Uh, So part three really is leaving judgment through mercy. The only escape for us, we want to leave judgment, right? Listen, look at me. We want to leave judgment, but I just got to tell you, you don't leave judgment under your own power. You don't leave God's judgment under your own power. You don't leave it by hoping in yourself or having enough strength or being slick enough or obedient enough. That's not how it works. The only way to leave judgment is to leave it through mercy. We leave judgment because we're called to mercy. Pardon can only be obtained through the mercy of God. That was the message for the Israelites. 3,500 years later, it's the message for you and I. The only way to have pardon is to depend on the mercy of God. So God has two purposes really for Israel as He's calling them out of Egypt, calling them back to the Promised Land. He has two purposes. We're going to unpack these in a minute here in Exodus 6. 6. But in your notes, the, God's two purposes for Israel were deliverance and redemption. These two pieces, there were two sides of a hinge that pivot together. Right? Deliverance And redemption, always. In Exodus 6, 6, God says, I will deliver you from slavery to them, but I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm. I'm going to set you free, but I'm going to call you to something. Ultimately, please hear this. This is so great. They wanted to escape the misery of slavery, and, and they were miserable, rightly so. They had been deeply oppressed for generations. That's really what the message of the Passover is about. It's not just about Pharaoh. This was a people who had been deeply oppressed. And yet the solution was not just for the oppression to end, although that is a great solution. The solution was that they were going to launch into this journey. And we're going to prove this at the end. This, This journey that started with the Passover actually echoed down through history, and it echoes right to us Today. That God is, the, the escape from oppression and misery is that God is calling us to himself. He's calling us to be his. I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Now what you're gonna hear, and we read this, we read a lot of verses today, and we didn't even begin to read. Like this is a couple chapters really where this story unfolds. We don't have time to read it, I mean we do have time to read it all, we would just be here a really long time, right? (laughs) But I'm trusting that you own a Bible, and if you don't, by the way, come see me and we can remedy that. We can put a Bible in your hand, right? Uh, The Bible app's free on your phone or your tablet or whatever the case may be, and it's a great app by the way. Uh, But I I trust that you have access to Scripture. You can read some of this story for yourself, and I'm I'm hoping that you will. I'm encouraging you to. But I want you to understand, even in the passage that we read, this long passage, it's that there are two pieces, there are two wings to this airplane that we're talking about today, okay? And we're going to refer back to this over and over. The first was actually the 10th plague, okay? That 10th plague where God says, I'm going to move through, and, and, and oh boy. What happened was that God physically showed up in Egypt. And He moved through the land. And He moved through the land in judgment. Does that make you nervous? Makes me a little nervous too. You better believe it made them a little nervous too. Which, hang on, we're going to get to it, right? So this 10th plague was this idea that they would be delivered right? But then pivoting with this plague is actually the story of the Passover of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So you have this something that happened once. We're going to talk about it in a minute. Something that happened once, but then they were going to remember it over and over and over and over. And do you remember the last word that I had you read in that passage? What was it? Yeah. This was going to echo down through history. You have this 10th plague And then you have Passover. So you have the 10th plague which accomplished the deliverance. You look in your notes, God's two purposes were deliverance and redemption. The 10th plague accomplished the deliverance. And then the Passover really was what accomplished the redemption. These were these two things together. Well, not to make a statement that's too obvious, but you can't get to Exodus 12 without going through Exodus 11. And we didn't have time to read the, the the kind of unpack what happened in Exodus 11, but it it really provides a lot of backstory for what we did read in Exodus 11. Moses or God tells Moses in verse one of Exodus 11. God tells Moses, okay. We've watched these plagues increase in severity. And if you, if you weren't here last week, you need to go back and watch that sermon, right? That There were not just nine plagues, but these, these nine plagues got successively worse, right? Have, have you ever, um, if, if, you like have, if you have kids, if you've raised kids, maybe you're raising kids now. Or if not, then you can probably think back to, for many of us, the way that we were raised... Maybe those first warnings from our parents were kind of slight. My dad would, he would just go. <clears throat> and you sat up straight and you said, what am I doing that I'm not supposed to be doing? What do I need to start doing that I'm currently not doing? Right. And it could get successively worse. Right. So it's just that's how correction works. And so that's what you see with these nine plagues is that by the time you get to, to plague number seven, eight, nine, 10 you are pretty rebellious because you've just refused to listen. Okay. So in Exodus 11, 1, God tells Moses, Pharaoh is not only going to let you go, he's actually going to drive you out. This is what's coming. He hasn't listened. I'm telling you this part of the story is coming to a close. Because I've made it very clear what I want to happen. These are my people. You have oppressed my people. You have murdered my people. And it wasn't just Pharaoh. It was so many throughout the nation of Egypt had oppressed repeatedly over and over and over. But this is so funny. Listen. And maybe you didn't know this. Some of you did know this. God actually tells Moses to tell the Israelites before all of this goes down, you go to the Egyptians and you ask them for gold and silver. And you're going to be surprised because they're going to give it to you. <laughs> we'll unpack in just a second like what, what does that mean? Why did they give it to them? There are actually a couple of theories about that. But the, it, when, when you look now, because we're going to uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to follow them as they leave Egypt and go down through. Remember they make a golden calf, right? Right. Where in the world did they get the gold? They got it right here. Like, And gold and silver was just as valuable then as it is now. Ask them for their gold and si- silver. And then in Exodus 11, again before our passage today, Moses goes into Pharaoh and he's actually pretty cheeky. When you think about this is maybe the most powerful ruler in the world who was clearly a very narcissistic man. And you just don't challenge a narcissist. I mean, you can, but it just doesn't often go well, especially if they have real, like, influence and power, right? Some of you, your mind just took off right then, <laughs> All right. Uh, so Moses gives this final warning to Pharaoh in Exodus 11, verses 4 through 8. And then in verse 8, I just, I got to say this because as I was reviewing this again over the last couple of weeks, getting re- ready for this sermon, I'm just fascinated by this, by this phrase. It says that after Moses gave this final warning to Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, you get out of my sight. I'm paraphrasing here. If you get out of my sight, because if you come back, you're dead. And Moses more or less says, oh, don't worry. You won't see me again. And it says this, that Moses went out in hot anger. That's verse 8 of Exodus 11. How great is that, right? This this thing has just spiraled out of control. Like you may be the most stubborn person on the planet right now, Pharaoh, and this just doesn't end well for you, okay? So we're going to make four quick observations. Obviously, we can't preach verse by verse through all 17 verses that we just... Uh, red. We, don't, we usually try to go just verse by verse through them, but there's just too much ground to cover here. We're going to make four observations, okay? Here's the first observation. We're actually going to go towards the end of the passage to catch this because this is an overarching theme that we've kind of already mentioned. This is in your notes. This first observation is that the Passover represented both a moment and a movement. It represented a moment in time. It represented something that happened that would never happen again. And yet it represented a movement. It was was literally representative of what would come. And that they would celebrate it again, as we've said, forever. So the moment, as you see, was in Egypt. It was an event. It was something that happened, right? And then there was a movement where they were moving out of Egypt, which is where we get the feast. That every year you're gonna take time apart. This is very important. You're gonna take time apart. You're gonna slow down and you're gonna celebrate what God did for you. And even generations later, people who weren't physically present. This is gonna be important, and we're gonna keep this important so that for throughout generations, we're gonna celebrate this over and over and over. Verse 14: this shall be for you. Here we go, a memorial day. That's the moment. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. That's the movement, right? The moment and the movement. It's a memorial day, but it's also a feast. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. The Passover itself, the event, was never repeated. But it was actually recalled regularly. And I think especially in the culture that you and I live in, and I don't know that it's necessarily more evil than past cultures, but it's certainly as evil as a lot of past cultures have been. There's tension that you and I feel just as Christians throughout history have felt. Um, One of the tensions that you and I particularly will feel is just the pace of life. Does anybody else in here feel like life's just spinning, spinning, spinning? Could I just tell you One of the first things that happens when life is moving so fast is that you forget. You forget some things. You forget some things that are very, very important. And along the way, we somehow begin to believe that the things that we're forgetting, maybe they don't matter so much. Could I just encourage you to not fall into what we call chronological snobbery? that what I see in front of me is the most important thing in the history of the world. Not really. But there actually have been some really important things throughout history. Uh, you know, again, I, about six years ago, I got the chance, after my mom passed, I got the chance to go with her brother, who's my uncle who I'm very close to, and he's a mentor in ministry. And we went all through South Alabama, right? Because that's where our family's originally from. And he t- took me to these churches that my family had a part in starting. All these little Pentecostal churches all through South. It's L.A. Y'all familiar with what L.A. is, Lower Alabama? There's two L.A.s in America. We're from the other one, right? So throughout, there, and I just, I didn't know. And you just realize, oh my gosh. Maybe I'm not the smartest person to come down the pike. Maybe there were people who are more godly than me who came before me. Maybe I'm part of a bigger story. No chronological snobbery. We wanna pay attention to what's come before us, right? By the way, think about it. Out of the 10 plagues, this is number 10, this is the only one that they were gonna set up a feast and celebrate. This was significant. And the the Passover, I read this in a commentary, I don't remember which one, I should've written it down, but just full disclosure, I didn't come up with this idea. I think it's fascinating. The event of the Passover marks the dividing line between two things. Listen, this is good. It marks the dividing line between two things. Number one is we cannot leave to number two, we cannot stay. How do you pivot from we cannot leave to we cannot stay? The Passover. That's what happened. That was the pivot point. They went from point A to point B. The Passover represented both a moment and a movement. Number next, the next observation. The Passover was personal, and it was by faith. This was very representative. This is how for you and I, when we read this story, we go, man, what are you kidding me? They're slaughtering lambs, and they're eating some kind of bitter stuff, and they're you know halfway around the world 3,500 years ago. What does this have to do with me? Actually, if you zoom out, you can see a theme. And it's actually a really clear theme. The Passover was personal and it was by faith. Look with me in verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. So in other words, they operated in these household units. Interestingly enough, it's also the only plague That Moses and Aaron were not directly involved in. This was specifically between the people and God. Moses and Aaron were taking care of their own house. We all have a responsibility, a personal responsibility to deal deal with this. This is between God and each person, or more specifically in this context, each household. And this is so big don't miss this. Ultimately, the occupants of these blood-protected houses had faith in the blood and that God was going to honor his promise. This is so big. Sarah and I were talking about this before the service. I told her, what must it have been like I don't know, but having read all that I've read for a few weeks now, I wonder if there wasn't something for the people who were present, for these Israelites who were present, I wonder if there wasn't something that was a little bit apocalyptic. Here we are, and we've been oppressed, and now God is turning us loose. But before so, things might get a little scary. And we're in our house. And outside the house, there may be a little bit of chaos happening. There may be some weeping and wailing, right? And yet, while that's going on out there, we are actually called, once we put the blood the way that God told us to, we actually feast inside the house in peace. Do you see how much faith that must have taken? To know that God is coming through this land in judgment, by the way, rightly so. We're going to unpack that in just a second. Rightly so. He's coming through the land in judgment. And yet we can feast inside our house in peace. Not because we have confidence in ourselves, but because we have faith in the blood and ultimately in God's promise that if we, put our faith in the, if we put our faith in something that's outside of us, that he will actually offer to us and extend to us mercy. So these occupants of these blood-protected houses had faith in the blood. It was a sign that they were placing themselves under God's protection. We don't have time to go back there. If you're taking notes, verses 8 and verse 13, prove that to us. Number next... The Passover, this is the third observation that we're going to make. The Passover was a journey in haste. This was a journey in haste. Did you catch the weird part where they're like eating when they've got their staff in their hand and don't take your shoes off, right? You've got your, you've got your belt around you. you are, you're sitting on go. I'm ready. I'm ready right now. We are sitting on God. This was a journey in haste. Please hear this. There's a ton of representation here. There's a ton of symbolism here, right? Listen, we need to be poised. This was God's message for them and for us. We need to be poised for immediate deliverance. Y'all look at me. And for immediate obedience. Because by the way, this probably was a little bit scary to see it required a lot of faith from them but what comes after this spoiler we're going to we got to talk about a couple of things over the next couple weeks when we circle back to exodus you know what we're going to talk about i've told you this it's one of my most favorite stories in the old Testament. It's when they went through the red sea you think that wasn't a little scary listen buckle up here we go. If you're going to follow God, God's going to at times call you to do things that in your own strength, you find scary. You better have faith in something bigger than you. You better have faith in something bigger than your own whatever slickness, intelligence, how you can manipulate people, you know, fill in the blank. You better have faith in something outside of you. I love this. The Passover was a feast for pilgrims, specifically for those look, this is so good for those who were committed to go walking with God. I almost changed it to say to those who walk with God, who are, but they were committed literally to go walking with God. you know how I know? Because they had their shoes on. Come on. How practical is your faith? You know? Pray for rain, but put the water jars out. Come on. Such a practical thing. They, They were in the middle of it. This is how God intersects with your story. He said this, remember verse 11, in this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, with your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. By the way, this was where the unleavened bread came in. We don't have time to wait for our bread to rise. We got business. Let's go. Come on. I don't know what God's calling us to, but He's calling us to something. What does it mean? Oh, my prayer is that you would have the courage to ask for yourself and for your family and for your household, whoever that is, what does it mean for you to be ready to go walking with God? What does it look like for you to feast with your belt on, and your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Probably not that literally. But what does it mean? What are are some things that you might do that are just as practical? The last observation, which really sets the stage for how we're going to finish unpacking this. The Passover was a time for reverence and for thankfulness. The Passover was a time for reverence and for thankfulness. We'll see this in verses 12 and 13. During the meal, while we're feasting inside our homes, safe because we're under the blood, God's going to move through in judgment. Does he have a right to do so? Yeah. Verses 12 and 13, God says, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. By the way, this wasn't a secret that this was going to happen. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So what do you do with this? How do you understand this? Was God being unfair? Was He being unjust? Hmm. Pharaoh was rebellious. Pharaoh was defiant. I think especially over the last few weeks, we've made the case that Pharaoh got everything that was coming to him, and he deserved it. But what about the rest of the Egyptians, right? The Egyptians also for generations had been oppressive and they'd been unjust. I find it fascinating that God very clearly, and He warned warned before He did it, He took their firstborn. And yet in Exodus, uh, it's either chapter 2 or 3, I think it's chapter 2, where the Egyptians, Pharaoh orders, and all the Egyptians participate that they throw the Israelite babies in the Nile, do you remember this? That wasn't just the firstborn. This was oppression. This was injustice. And by the way, don't miss this. These plagues illustrate that when we repeatedly rebel against God's warnings, we will come face to face with Him. This is heavy. But I want you to hear this. God won't be ignored. You feel that? You don't have to be afraid of Him, but you need to have a reverence for Him. He won't be ignored. Ultimately, fully, and finally, He won't be ignored. So is it gracious that he provided plague after plague that increased in escalation of suffering to say, hey, let these people go. Let these people go. Let these people go. In fact, this is is how I think we can make sense of this, okay? For the seventh plague, which was hail in Exodus chapter 9, we see actually that some of the Egyptian herders that these, these were herding animals, they actually, in chapter nine, verse 20, they brought their livestock in because they also knew what was coming. Pharaoh may not have believed God, but there's evidence that many Egyptians believed, and they took the same action that the Israelites took for the eighth plague, which was locusts, in Exodus 10:7. There were Egyptians that actually said to Pharaoh, How long will you be a snare for us? Do you not see what's happening? Do you not understand that we're being destroyed? And if we don't listen, things are going to go from bad to worse. And then, fascinatingly, we read Exodus uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 17. Actually, if you go back and read verse 19, you find that included in the Passover was what was called the alien, which meant that they were non-Israelites. It would have been Egyptians who had the opportunity to participate in the Passover. So you have repeated warnings, and we believe There were Egyptians, in fact, um, let's see, I don't think I wrote it down, I was just telling Pastor Aaron, I find it fascinating that when they left, it actually says when the the Israelites left Egypt, there was literally, the word is a mixed multitude that left. It wasn't just Israelites, it was people who had put their faith and said, listen, I don't know if Pharaoh's going to listen, but I'm going to listen. This is something I should pay attention to. Here's the point. Y'all hear this. God is slow to anger, but he is not incapable of it. That's the best way that I know to present this. He is long suffering and slow to anger. And as his followers, as his believers, we extol him for his mercy while simultaneously revering him for his justice. See, this is what makes us so thankful for his mercy. Because we understand justice. We understand that we deserve it as well. And God, you were were able to still be just by providing another way for me to be forgiven. I I can't pay the price for my own sins. I have to put my faith in something else. But if we're going to receive mercy, it will not be because God has a short memory. It'll be because he knows how to deal with our sin in a full and final way. It's big. Alec Mocher said this. And by the way, this is not inspired, right? This is just a quote from somebody. So if this makes you struggle, just cross through it and forget about it, okay? I just thought it was interesting. He said, when Yahweh entered Egypt, now he means literally, God showed up. When Yahweh entered Egypt as absolute Lord and judge, Israel's problem was no longer how to escape Pharaoh, but how to be safe before such a God. Our number one concern becomes how can we be safe before such a God? How do we escape so great a judgment? And God said, it's easy. Follow the steps, put the blood on your doorpost, and then you go inside and cook your dinner and have a feast. You can have complete faith that the judgment that may be going on around you doesn't come to you. You get to escape judgment by mercy. And as God so often does, He redeems suffering, He redeems difficulty, and He always ties back to the big picture. God's always thinking long-term. See, the Passover was about much more than just delivering these slaves from Egypt. God's field of vision is much further than ours. His field of vision is much broader than yours and mine. This is so big. The Passover, in many ways, was the opening salvo in this scriptural, historical focus on blood. How does blood relate to forgiveness? Well, we take it for granted 3,500 years later. It's not that, that sacrifices hadn't happened in their worship before now, but this is where God really plants a flag in the ground and says blood is going to be tied to forgiveness, or specific, more specifically, forgiveness is going to be tied back to blood. Because see, the Passover would echo, and we're going to talk about this in a few weeks, the Passover, the story of the Passover, would echo into the tabernacle, which was their portable temple, right? Right? This was their tent that they carried with them and every time they stopped and set up camp, they camped, they set up the tabernacle so they could worship. And do you remember what was involved in the tabernacle? It was sacrifices that involved blood. And it echoed through that as they took the land. And as you had King Saul, you go through the period of the judges, and you have King Saul, and then you have King David and he really sets up camp in Jerusalem. We talked about this a few weeks ago in our series on the Psalms. He sets up camp in Jerusalem. They bring the Ark of the Covenant, and and David gets ready to build not just the tabernacle, we need a temple. David says, We have moved into this land, and we all moved out of tents and into houses, but the Lord has not. We need a temple. And so David gathers all the resources so that his son Solomon could build the temple and there's where you get Indiana Jones. <laughs> Solomon's temple, right? That's right. They, listen, they co-opted our story. We move from a tabernacle to a temple but you know what we don't move away from? Blood. Blood is a sacrifice and you know where it echoed past that. One day on a hillside. The king of the universe. We talk about the kingdom of God. The kingdom has a king, and it's King Jesus. And he was spotless, and he laid down his life for you. So that you can feast in peace. So that you don't have to worry about judgment. The righteous judge is coming through. But we get to feast in peace. Because all the sacrifices that had been offered before Jesus in the tabernacle and in the temple, they all pointed to something. They were imperfect. Now you're into the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, right? It all pointed to something. It pointed to something big and important. And in many ways, they, they had more faith than you and I had because they didn't totally understand. We just know something's coming. We know someone's coming. We know who the someone is, don't we? It's Jesus. They looked forward. We look back. And the pinnacle of human human existence is the cross. And it was the full echo of the Passover. Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb. And when we have faith in his blood, and we arrange ourselves under his blood, we have nothing to worry about. Amen. We get to feast in peace. And this is why Paul says in Romans 3 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace. Say the next three words with me as a gift. We're justified by grace as a gift. We're made righteous. Wait, listen, do you hear it? Justified justice. Justice is served. It's just not served on you. It was served on someone else. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a, what's the word? A propitiation. This is, I put it in your notes there, the removal of wrath by the offering of a proper gift. We're going to appease wrath by offering the right gift look at me. You can't do that on your own. You have nothing to offer on your own. And yet the proper gift was offered. It's Jesus. We just put our faith in that. We just have to live through this whole thing by faith. God put him forth. Now, this is the reason we're reading this. Listen to the echoes of the Passover in this passage. Paul knew exactly what he was doing here. He knew exactly what he was doing. God put forward as a propitiation, this is Christ Jesus, by His blood blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, which is another way to say God's justice. Because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. The echo comes down through history. You and I are saved by the blood of a spotless lamb. And we're saved by our faith in that blood. And I'm just telling you, the only peace is under the blood. If you're far from God, this is for you. This wasn't just for the Israelites. It was for anyone who was God-fearing, and the Egyptians were invited to be a part of it. This is for you. It's exclusive, but it's open to everyone. That's the dichotomy. It's, it's free, listen, this has nothing to do with who deserves it, because I'm just telling you, it's a bunch of jacklegs that are in it already. It's me and you and, okay, a bunch. I'm just telling you, it's riffraff that's already in. So jump on in. The water's nice. Well, I'm not good enough, Tim Wright. You're in a room full of people that are not good enough. Tim, you don't know what I did this week. We could probably tell stories, couldn't we? It's open to everyone. If you've already done that, If you're a believer, I want to ask you this. Do you feast in peace? I don't know what other kind of chaos is going on in your world. But do you feast in peace? And if not, why not? Isn't this the most important thing we could ever unpack? I'm telling you, 10,000 years from now, we're all still going to exist. But what we care about will change greatly from the things we care about right now. Amen. That's right. And we will see life and eternity and God for what it really is. We'll see who we are in an eternal perspective in ways that we can't see it now. And we'll care more about this than we ever have. So feast in peace. Feast in peace. Let's pray. If you're far from God, I would invite you, just right there where you are. You don't even have to do it out loud. I would invite you to, re- if if you want to put your faith in Jesus. And in his blood and in his blood sacrifice, that God's provided a way for you to be forgiven of your sins. I would invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. God, we thank you that you have mercy on us. Thank you that you have mercy on me. I'm a sinner, I have no hope of my own. But right now, I place my faith and my hope in Jesus Christ. I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus sacrifices for me. And I confess that I'm going to give my life to you in faith. God, thank you for mercy. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts. Thank you for this incredible, eternal, significant thing that you've called us to, to be in relationship with you. And it's such a freeing, such a freeing thing, such an encouraging thing. When we see life and eternity in their proper scope, we can find joy. We can find peace even in the midst of chaos and suffering because we know you're with us We know that you are setting us free from judgment through your mercy. And we know that that's not because of anything of our own. Because we've put our faith in Jesus and his sacrifice for us on the cross. So we thank you once again for the cross, that Jesus' blood sacrifice was enough, that it was complete, that you fully accepted it. And through that, we can find courage to trust and obey. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.